I heard about this old country farmer. He was taking his nephew camping for the very first time. His nephew had five degrees, was one of the smartest men alive. They set up their tent and quickly fell asleep. In the middle of the night, the farmer woke up his nephew and said, Look up, what do you see? I see a million stars, the nephew said. I know that, but what does it tell you? The farmer asked. The nephew replied, Astronomically, it tells me that we are that there are billions of galaxies. Meteorologically, it tells me it's going to be a beautiful day. Theologically, it tells me God is a great creator. What does it tell you, uncle? The old farmer shook his head and said, It tells me that somebody stole our tent. Sometimes we look for a deeper meaning instead of seeing the way things simply are. Simply put, we live in a culture in a world that says, Pursue your sexual passions. It doesn't matter who gets hurt. It's going to be my way. I might as well just go for the gusto. If you were not here last Sunday, I would encourage you to listen to this message. This is part two of how the how and why of sexual purity. This subject is like a minefield. There are hidden bombs all over the place. The whole world talks about sexual intimacy, but very, but very little is heard from the church. Because, again, this is such a touchy subject, we want to see what the Bible has to say on this particular subject. And, and I'd invite you to pray with me. Lord, I'm asking that you would please help us. Help us as we articulate. Help us as we... Make this point very clear this morning as we teach your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God has given us a full range of emotions and appetites. We have a natural, God-given appetite for food and shelter and for clothing, companionship, fellowship, and for sexual intimacy. Just to name a few. Again, these are normal and they are God-given. However, because of our carnal nature, and because of sin and Satan and because of the world, these normal, God-given emotions and appetites can become, can become abnormal cravings and addictions that can lead at times to a tragic end. A number of years ago in Southern California, a female teacher was arrested for having sex with a 14-year-old male student. Unfortunately, this is becoming so common that we've become almost desensitized to it. But think about it. What would drive a female teacher, who, by the way, was married, to ruin her reputation, to ruin her life, ruin her career, to molest a male student? Here's another story. A number of years ago, I read about a pastor, yes, a pastor, who spent $75,000 on Internet pornography in a year's time, $75,000. Again, normal, God-given appetites and desires, but because of carnality and because of sin and because of Satan, can become abnormal cravings and literally destroy our lives. And nowhere is this more clearly seen than in the way people get caught up in sexual immorality. I want to review First Thessalonians chapter four verses three through five. Turn there with me. First Thessalonians chapter four, three through five. 
Notice Paul says, it is God's will. It is God's will. It is not something that he says, that he suggests you need to do when you feel like it. It is God's will, what? That you should be holy. The modern NIV translation says that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. You see, the Roman world at this particular time, they had temples dedicated to their gods, and they had thousands, literally thousands of men and women prostitutes. Men and women of that particular time, of that culture, were encouraged to have many lovers, both male and female. And in this sea of immorality, Paul tells his flock, it is God's will. It's not a suggestion. It's not just a little recommendation. It's not just a passing, passing thought. It is the will of God that what? That you should abstain from sexual immorality. Sexual intimacy, according to the Bible, is to be between a man and a woman in a monogamous covenant relationship, a marital relationship. God's standard is so high, absolutely high. As human beings, we probably wouldn't set that standard so high. But God's standard is absolutely way up there. In fact, it's interesting because the phrase here, sexual immorality, can be translated in the Greek as porous where we get the uh, English word porneo or pornography. And, and really what, we're, what Paul is talking about here, he, he's saying sexual immorality, therefore, is premarital sex. Any premarital sex, we've talked about all the harm that premarital sex can do, unwanted pregnancies, sexually transmitted diseases, Studies have been done. People want to check one another out. People want to live together. But studies have been done. And, 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 the, and it's indicated that those people who live together before they are married, statistically speaking, they have a higher divorce rate than those who don't. We're talking about extramarital relations. That's wrong. Homosexual relations. That's wrong. This is an absolute standard. Paul says our bodies are God's. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says don't give any part of your body to unrighteousness. Sexual immorality causes the Holy Spirit to be quenched and grieved. It affects our intimacy with God. There's a risk of unwanted pregnancies and sexually transmitted diseases again are so widespread that it would blow your mind away. And sexual immorality interferes with trust and intimacy issues and is a leading cause of divorce. For all these reasons and more, it is to our benefit that we refrain from sexual immorality. You say, you say, Pastor Rod, I know God's standard, but how? How can a person remain pure in this area? 
I know that premarital sex and extramarital sex and pornography are blatantly wrong, but when it comes to those movies that are so explicit that simulate those sexual acts, and when it comes to my thought life, and when it comes to ogling of women who are so scantily dressed, lust just wells up in my heart. What can I do in this sex-crazed culture how can a young person, how can a middle-aged person, how can a single person, how can a married person, how can a young adult keep themselves pure? Well, from the Old Testament story of Samson, we see five principles that will help us to stay sexually pure if followed. Let me review the first three, and then we're going to go on to two new principles, and we're going to be wrapping up this particular message this morning, let me begin by reviewing. Samson, his life was tragic. Samson was a champion that became a clown, an eagle that became a turkey, the world's strongest man that became a 90-pound weakling, so to speak. He was a he-man with a she-woman weakness. He was raised by godly parents, raised under the Nazarite vow where he pledged to God that he wouldn't eat certain foods, nor drink any alcoholic beverages, and never touch any dead thing. And never ever was he supposed to cut his hair. From childhood, he was instructed in the ways of God about his Nazarite vow and about his purposes. God revealed to his godly parents his primary purpose in life. It was to lead his people lead his people away from the influence of the Philistines to rid his country from the Philistine influence. That was his primary goal. You see, the Philistines, these wicked and terrible people who worshipped pagan gods and sacrificed their own children on their altars, who promoted sexual promiscuity right and left, who ruled Jerusalem for 40 plus years during this particular time, they were an awful influence. And Samson's purpose was to overthrow these people and boot them out of his country and get rid of their control and influence again. And by Judges chapter 14, we read that Samson is fully grown. He has grown physically, but he's not emotionally and physically mature at all. And we immediately, in this particular chapter, detect a character flaw. He possesses a lustful, passionate sex drive that cannot be controlled, that he does not want to control, that drives him forward and that propels him. Judges chapter 14, verses one and two. Notice. Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14. Give me just a moment to find that particular passage of Scripture. I was in Joshua instead of Judges. Here, here it is. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me 
as my wife. The first four recorded words from Samson's lips are, I saw a woman. I saw a woman. And that's the story of his life. He focused on the wrong objective. You really don't want to go down the slippery slope of sexual immorality. Then, first of all, number one, we must control our sexual desires. Yes, has, yes, God has given us our sex drive. But unfortunately, because of carnality and sin and Satan in the world, it can become abnormal, abnormal, and you can feed it until it becomes insatiable. How can you curb or contain this sex drive? How can you do it? Well, this leads me to my second point. Number two, especially the guys, especially talking to men, we must learn to handle our eyes. You see, it's well known that men are, are visually stimulated. And lust for a man often enters the heart because of staring or ogling at a beautiful woman in a scantily, the scantily dressed. Those images of those R-rated movies and graphic novels enter our mind and often through pornography, unfortunately, through the eye gate, it feeds our lust. And quite frankly, the reason why a lot of men have a problem with lust is that they are overstimulating themselves through their eyes. And studies have been done. If you are depressed, if you are stressed, if you have some sort of unsatisfied need in your relationship, and because of the explicit movies and novels and pornography, it becomes like a drug, these things. Endomorphins are released. Adrenaline surges. The only problem is, is that people who start off stimulating themselves through so-called softcore pornography need a little bit more stimulus. What perhaps would take a half hour now becomes an hour, becomes two hours. What was softcore pornography becomes hardcore pornography. And this vicious cycle increases. And all of a sudden, we no longer have intimate relationship with our spouse. And all of a sudden, we have to act it out with other people because of this, these images that we're feeding our eye gate and coming to our heart and mind. And unfortunately, this often starts out very, very young. Did you know that these statistics are, are over a decade old? I, I, I couldn't get the recent statistics. But the growth of cyber sex is phenomenal. You see, no longer does a man um, you know, go down to the neighborhood store, the, the, the drugstore, the grocery store, to pick up pornography. They can just click a button on their computer. And the, and the growth of cybersex is phenomenal. Back in January, January of 1999, 19,542,000 different people per month visited the top five pay porn websites with 98,527,000 different people visiting the top five free, free porn websites each particular month. And during this particular time, more than 100,000 websites were dedicated to selling sex in some way, not including chat rooms, emails, or other avenues for sexual contact on the web. About 200 sex-related websites are added each day. And I bet you the numbers have doubled and tripled. 
because these statistics are over a decade old. Think about it. Millions and millions of people becoming addicted to pornography through cyber sex. In, the, in contrast to Samson is this Old Testament character called Job. In Job chapter 1, verse 8, God said to Satan, No one on earth is like him, speaking about Job. He is blameless context. He is pure in every way and upright. Job was blameless before God, even in his sex drive and even in his thought life. How was it possible? Well, Job made a startling revelation. According to Job 31.1, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. A covenant with my eyes. You mean he made a promise with his eyes not to gaze, not to stare upon a woman? Is it possible? It cannot be true. In fact, later on in the book of Job, he swore upon his wife and he swore upon his marriage that if he did this, if he broke this covenant, he would let another man sleep with his wife. Fellows, I'm especially speaking to men, you can control what you stare at. You can retrain yourself. You can learn to, to bounce your eyes away from staring at a scantily dressed woman. You can, you can control your eyes from looking at graphic movie scenes and looking at pornography. Why should I, Pastor Ron? Because those lustful thoughts and desires in the heart stem from the overexposure of the eyes, overstimulation of the eyes and the mind, and, cre and it creates patterns of thinking. It causes lust. And if you don't, if you don't refrain from what your eyes look at, you're going to suffer. Your intimacy with God is going to suffer. Your intimacy with your spouse is going to suffer. Habits become formed. Addictions become formed. And eventually people begin to act it out. And there are terrible, terrible consequences. Now, there is nothing wrong with looking at a beautiful woman and saying, there is a beautiful woman. God has made a man to be attracted to a woman through his eyes. It means that you're a man. And there's nothing wrong with looking and saying that's a beautiful woman. The problem comes in is when we begin to stare and when we begin to undress that woman with our eyes. And I'm saying that we can learn like Job to look and say there's a beautiful woman and then learn to bounce our eyes away. Well, in contrast, in contrast, Samson did not refrain at all. No one was going to curb his appetite. No one was going to curb his carnality. No one was going to curb what he looked at. No one was going to uh, curb what he focused on. Samson was just focused on this young lady's body. Physical appearance and nothing else. Samson liked the way she looked, the way she was built. She had sex appeal. 
There's not a single word about her character. He could care less about the fact that she was a Philistine and she worshipped false gods. She was a hot chick and that's all that mattered to him. And ladies, let me just digress. Often, that may not be your problem. But according to Dr. Dobson, who we introduced last Sunday, he wrote that you often are attracted to the men who appeal to you emotionally and romantically. Perhaps you're not so attracted to a man's body like a man is attracted to a woman's body, but you're attracted. Neither uh, You still are attracted, especially to a man, again, who appeals to you emotionally and romantically. So if it's someone other than your spouse, watch that one-on-one time, the innocent hugs, the sharing of problems, the warmth, the comparison of your husband with the other guy. Just watch out. Our, our sexual drive must be controlled and our eyes must be retrained. And number three, in order to avoid sexual immorality, our leisure time must also be guarded. Our leisure time also must be guarded. This was another problem that Samson had. He handled his leisure time carelessly. Church, especially men, maybe the reason you're having such a hard time remaining sexually pure is that during your downtime, you're rationalizing, I need this. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so stressed in life. I'm so depressed. No big deal. Just flipping through the television channels. No big deal going from website to one website to another website. So what if my entertainment is a little bit graphic, stimulating? Uh, you know, No, no. In your leisure time, you have to cultivate a plan. Um, you, you need to buy or borrow books and movies that occupy your time that is wholesome, wholesome entertainment. There are so many wholesome books and so many wholesome movies out there. Um, replace the unwholesome. Stay away from the internet unless you have a filter or unless you're accountable to another person. If you, if, you, if, you, if you have to, just unplug the television. You see, Samson never ever guarded his leisure time. Next time we read about Samson, he's eating honey out of, the dead, out of a dead lion's corpse that he had killed a couple months before. He doesn't care about his vow. He wasn't supposed to touch a dead lion, a dead carcass. But in his leisure time, in his downtime, he's scooping honey out of the dead corpse of a lion. And then he gives some of it to his folks and he doesn't, doesn't even tell his parents, he doesn't even care uh, where it came from. Then in chapter 15 we read that Samson left this Philistine woman that he married and he begins to pursue harlots up in Gaza. In his leisure time, he's hustling prostitutes. And if that's not bad enough, he turns right around and locates yet another woman down in the valley of Sork, whose name was Delilah. You see, to Samson, his leisure time was synonymous with lust. A lust time. He isn't interested in delivering Israel. He's on the prowl for another female. You want to avoid sexual immorality, 
You've got to handle your leisure time. And number four, let's go on here. We must also choose our friends carefully. We must also choose our friends carefully. One of the greatest joys of life are good, intimate friends who have your values, who have your beliefs, and who will hold you accountable. But a wrong set of friends, watch out. A wrong friend, a wrong crowd, often they say, come on, live a little. Everybody's doing it. Wouldn't you know it? Samson never controlled his sexual desires. He looked at these women as sex objects. He never guarded his eyes. His eyes roamed all over a woman like a hawk would look for its next meal. He never guarded his recreation. His leisure time was synonymous with fulfilling his lustful appetites. And he certainly never screened the people he hung out with. His love for God, his Nazarite vows, his purpose in life went completely out the door thanks to bad company that Samson kept. So he began to hang around with the wrong crowd. And he began to hang around with this Philistine woman by the name of Delilah. Turn over with me to Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. Notice verses 4 and on. So sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sork, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistine went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overcome him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and how you can be subdued. Sound familiar? This guy's a pushover. Seduce him, Delilah. Find out where his physical strength lies. Remember, he killed a, he killed a lion with his bare hands. He killed hundreds of Philistines one time with a jawbone of a donkey. He was literally the most physically strong man that ever lived. They were saying, he can whip a thousand, thousands of us without breaking a sweat. He, he's a tremendous adversary. He's an enemy to us. Find out how he's able to be like that. Apparently, Samson, you see, didn't look like a bodybuilder. He didn't look like Lou Ferrigno or didn't look like Ar what Arnold Schwarzenegger used to look like. He didn't look like the WWF wrestler like Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. He looked like any other Jewish male of that day. Delilah, find out how come he's so strong and yet he looks like everybody else. Get at it, gal. Do your own thing. Entice him. Running with the crowd, Samson's heading straight for trouble. The man is dancing with temptation, so he plays right into Delilah's hands. How could he be so stupid? Again, verse 6. So Delilah began to hound him. Tell me the secret of your great strength. Talk about no light on on the top floor for Samson. Delilah said, Samson, baby, tell me. Tell me why you're so strong. You see, we plan to trap you. And, 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 and if you will simply tell us your secret, we'll finish you off. And this big old glute of a guy, this big old playboy, this turkey, 
thought to himself, well, this will be a lot of fun. I'll just play her game. So he gives her a few clever possibilities. And for starters, he says in verse 7, If anyone ties me up with seven fresh thongs that have not been dried, I will become weak as any other man. So if you can believe this, she did this. She wrapped him with fresh cords and wrapped them around him and she yelled, she yelled, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And pop, he snaps all the cords and moves out. And the Philistines come back and whine, Oh, we've been deceived because Samson's strength was not in, was not discovered. But they don't quit. They say, Delilah, go back to work. And so in verses 10 through 11, she says it again, she asks him, and he tells her something else. He tells her something else. Something else. Here is the fact. He is becoming a clown. Instead of a champion, who ought to be delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistine, but instead he's messing around with this sin-filled, evil crowd of people. Ridiculous! But if you can believe it, same song, same story. And he says, if you do this, and then he says, if you weave my hair in a special way, what is happening? In the fun of game, in the fun and games of the moment, he gets so close to the edge of the cliff, he starts to play with his hair. The sacred secret of his life. Listen, we know that Samson's strength was not in his hair, but his hair was a sign, a symbol of his strength. It was a reminder of his vow. Nevertheless, nevertheless, while he's playing around with it, he blurted out, well, why don't you just weave something in my hair, or weave my hair into a web? And so she did. You see, church, Samson is beginning to presume upon the sacred things. And this is his fifth major flaw. He did not take his vow seriously before God. You want to pursue, you want to prevent sexual immorality? We must take our vows that we make to God seriously. You say, what vows are those in the New Testament? Jesus said, love God with all your heart, body, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, if you love me, you will do the things that I ask you to do. And this includes sexual purity. Taking God seriously. Remember 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It is God's will. With all of your heart, you need to, need to make that vow. I will be sexually pure before God. It is God's will. It's the will of God that you should abstain from all sexual immorality. For God has called, called us to be sanctified. He's called us to live a holy life. Make a commitment if you have not done so. Single person, teenage person, middle-aged person, married person, to be sexually pure, to live a holy life in this area, to be different from our culture, to be different from our world. I've made a vow to God. I've made a vow to my wife that I will not read those graphic novels and watch those graphic movies 
and I am endeavoring not to ogle women, not to allow pornography in, to enter my vision. And I think this is important, and it's every man's battle. There's a book out there called Every Man's Battle, and it is a battle. Every day it's a battle. But unless you make this kind of commitment and this kind of vow, you, 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 you just are going to be swayed right and left and right and left. But not Samson. He did not take his vow seriously. He probably remembered his parents' counsel and, and admonition about his Nazarite vows. He probably thought, ah, oh, I can handle this. I'm my own man. He just didn't take God seriously. So, he impulsively says, why don't you just mess with my hair? And so she did. But once again, Samson's strength was not diminished. Once again, Delilah begins to pour it on. Look at verse 15. You can just imagine. You can just imagine. She said to him, how can you say I love you? You, you can just see her pouting lips. When you won't confide in me, this is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And notice verse 16. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. If you'd like to circle your Bible, would you circle the word nagging and tired to death? You can picture it. Samson, baby, I love you so much. Play crying. You haven't told me the truth for three times in a row what your great secret to your strength is. And she, the Bible tells us, weared him to death. The Proverbs says, a malcontented woman is like a constant drip on a rainy day. And finally, he got tired of it. And so Samson let it all out. Verse 17. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become weak as any other man. A razor has never come on my head. If I shave my head, my hair is cut, then my strength will leave me and I just become weak and like any other man. How could he do this? Why hadn't he realized the peril of his situation and that Delilah was playing with him? you think it wouldn't take a rocket scientist. We see it. Everybody sees it. Somebody has said, sin not only binds you, but it also blinds you. No restraint to his sexual desire, no restraint on what his eyes looked at, no guarding of his leader time, carelessly hanging out with the wrong crowd, prostitutes and seductresses, sleeping with anyone and everyone, allowing his lust to consume him and drive him until he forgets about God, forgets about his purpose, and forgets about his vow. And what was the result of his choices? Of course, Delilah had his head shaved. And within a matter of seconds, the Bible says, the Philistines came in and they seized him and they gouged out both of his eyes. Why, of course, his eyes, the gateway to his lust. And then they dumped Samson in a prison and bound him with bronze changed and used him 
to grind grain every day, day in and day out, day in and day out like an animal. He reaps what he sows. And the terrible consequence of sin can lead to terrible things, even imprisonment. Somebody said sin takes us further down the road than we ever realize. But God is still there. Thank God Samson's story doesn't end here. Listen. No sin of any kind, including sexual sins, cannot separate us from the love of God. No sexual thought or activity is so bad that God cannot forgive. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Repentance means missing the mark. It's an archery term. You've missed the mark. What do you do when you've missed the mark? You ask God to forgive you and to cleanse your heart and to empower you and to help you live a pure life again. Samson in that cell, blinded and bound, grinding that grain day after day, week after week, month after month, started talking again with the Lord and finally asked God to forgive him. That's the context. And in that moment of triumph, remember his primary purpose. He remembered his primary purpose. He was to destroy the Philistines. And the Philistines, you see, they had this huge gathering where all their leaders came together. There were thousands on top of the roof. It was, evidently, it was, a, it was an open. Um, the sides in the back and the front were open and they were under a roof with these big, huge temples. Thousands of people on top of the roof. Thousands of people underneath. And they placed Samson between two pillars to make fun of him. And Samson, in a moment, the context tells us, pray to God, God, give me my supernatural strength back. Give me my strength back. Help me to fulfill the purpose that you've given me to fulfill. And the Bible says that with supernatural strength between the two pillars he was placed, he pushed out on the right and he pushed out on the left and he knocked those pillars down knocking the roof on top of all those people and all those people on top of the roof and those people underneath the roof were crushed were crushed and he died himself he was a man with a she woman problem a turkey that after the end of his life became an eagle again. A clown that became a champion again. Would you bow your heads with me and would you pray? Oh Lord, we need your grace and we need your help.
first of all, we ask that you'd help us to control our sexual desires. We thank you that you've given us desires. They're God-given. They're normal. But Lord, we don't want to ever, ever allow these things to dominate and to control our life. And help us to learn our, to handle our eyes, to bounce our eyes, to recognize beauty, but not to take that second and third and fourth look and to stare and ogle. And then we pray that you'd help us to guard our leisure time, to be accountable to people, and help us to choose our friends very, very carefully. And bottom line, we do this not because of some preacher, not because somebody preaches at us. We do this because we have your conviction. We see it from your word. And help us to uphold our vows. Our vow to you that we promise to love you with all our heart, body, mind, and soul. And we want to be obedient to what you'd have us to do and to our spouse if we are married. To honor and to cherish our spouse. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the day that I was married, on that April morning, I remember standing in the front of the church as my father-in-law walked my bride down the aisle. And with tears in my eyes, on that particular day, I made a vow to her. And it's so important. A vow of purity. A vow through the good times and bad times to be committed to one person. To love again and to cherish.